BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Your Ben Jarofsky show for Friday, November 13th is just moments away. What the hell was that? (laughs) Oh my God, I didn't think of that. What was that? (laughs) But before we get into this, let's thank the following unions for sponsoring this show. Well, actually, we just got one these days. The Chicago (laughs) Federation of Labor. That's it. And today's show is brought to you by the Chicago Reader. For all things going on in Chicago, what to do, what to eat, where to go. Eh, Don't really have many options now with the pandemic. But you should check out the Chicago Reader, chicagoreader.com, and subscribe. Also, subscribe to the Chicago Reader YouTube channel because we will be jumping on that from time to time uh, all throughout this month because we're moving over to the Reader. Oh, my God. What? (laughs) What's going on? Your song of the day comes from Frank. Peace of My Heart by Janis Joplin. Ooh. Oh, God. Um, peace of my heart. Ooh. You know, D, <laughs> that was terrible. That was I can't, bad. I can't, you know what? I can't conjure it. So how about I do this? How about, as long as you're doing uh, uh, Janis Joplin from the Janis Joplin songbook. Oh, Lord, won't you buy me? A Mercedes Benz. Dr. D has one of those, and I must make a man's. There you go. <laughs> uh, so it's, I'm sorry, Frank, it wasn't literally the song you wanted, but it was by the same artist. And so. you know, we never promised that these were performed well, okay? <laughs> Do you know that song at all? By Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes? I know no. it's way before millennial time. No, okay, just kidding. I know. Take another little piece of my heart now, baby. I know that one. Wait. Take it. Did, did, hold it, is Janis Joplin on the show? Did she just... Oh, my God. I thought that was Janis Joplin. Wait, is that you? That was me. D, sounded just like... I just thought she came back to life and was now producing the Ben Jarofsky show, which, you know, I can understand she would want a gig like that. The Ben Jarofsky show starts now. It is Friday, November 13th, and live from my apartment in his attic, this is The Ben Jarofsky Show. Today on the program, it's another Ramana Rundown with Chicago Sun-Times editor, Ramana Hussein. <laughs> and now your host... Chicago Reader columnist, Ben Jarofsky. <laughs> Hello, everybody there. <laughs> ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Horse Whisperer Friday. It's hard to say. And here's why. I want to thank Frank for sending me a text this morning about Gerardo Rivera's comments regarding Donald Trump. I also want to unthank Frank for doing that because I was all set to talk about something else. It was in my mind. And then I saw that bit, Frank, and God darn it. I'm not allowed to swear. So God darn it. I had to talk about that. So I just ripped up what I had been doing. Hold on. 
ripped it up. Oh, God. There, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> Rip that thing. <laughs> I got to get another piece of paper. That one's all ripped up already. Anyway, I ripped up what I hear. Hold on. There we go. There we there go. There it is. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Rip it up. All right. I ripped up that bit that I had done and came up with another one because Geraldo Rivera, what a piece of work. All right, for all my younger listeners out there, I think everybody knows Geraldo Rivera is, but I'll just help you out if you don't. Uh, celebrity newsman goes back to, I want to say the early 1970s. He's been around as long as I can remember. And I can recall a time back in the day, in those early 70s, seeing Geraldo on TV with his long flowing hair and his hip New York accent and he was kind of like a taller not as cool version of al pacino and he was believe it or not sort of a lefty back then he was like the he had that counterculture vibe and he was the young dude that the mainstream news outlets brought on to loop in the millennials not the literal millennials like dr d and his generation i'm talking about millennial not as a specific time in life excuse me not as a specific time but as a time in life when you're young and you're like the hipster crowd that everybody wants to win over i was a millennial once d yes me and was my demographic my younger demographic that the national mainstream operators of America wanted to win over. And as such, they trotted out Geraldo. You know what? They kind of worked. I was like, oh, he's cool. I like Geraldo Rivera. I want to be like Geraldo Rivera when I grow up. That was kind of the attitude I had, believe it or not. So, you know, you might say that Geraldo's entire career is based on my uh People like me are liking him. So you're welcome, uh, Geraldo. No no need to send us flowers of appreciation. Anyway, like all of us, Geraldo's gotten older. And now he's the exact opposite of the hip young guy with the Al Pacino flair. He's become MAGA man. Damn, his mustache is awesome, though. Have you seen that mustache he's got these days? Dude, I just saw. I sent you pre-show planning. Pre-show planning. I sent you. That sucker's thick, I tell you. (laughs) <laughs> it's a thick mustache. He looks like the uh, he looks like the modern day, uh, well, the real life modern day Luigi of the Mario Brothers. The Luigi, you know that uh, reference is lost on me. Only <laughs> you, and only remember, you. Everyone wait, else listening, remember, it's like, oh yeah, Luigi. Wait, remember when we had the trivia question? I had to name the Mario Brothers. I don't think I did well in that trivia question. Anyway, somehow or other, as I said, Geraldo has turned into Maga Man. Oh, Geraldo, say it ain't so. But what Frank sent me was something that I just found fascinating. I've watched it three times. I sent it to Dennis. We're going to play the, but you know what, D? We're going to play the full version uh, with when Romana's on. Romana's going to be riffing on this one, I know. Uh, but could you just give the give the folks a little taste of uh, what Geraldo's up to? Can you play just like the first ten seconds or so uh, of Geraldo? I'm looking now. I'm going through this website you sent to me. A lot of uh, a lot uh, of ads. This uh, thing you uh, sent to uh, me. <laughs> it's called pre-show planning, folks. Yeah. All right. Well, you got it? No. <laughs> all right. It doesn't matter. I'll tell you about, all about it. So, yeah, he's turned into MAGA man. And this is like this is appeal he made. It's like his open appeal to his good friend, Donald Trump. And he calls him his good friend, Donald Trump. And his voice is really soft and gentle. And he says, you know, uh, this is an open appeal that I'm making because I oh, think the time is coming. We got it. We got it. All right. Here we go. All right. Take it away, Luigi. I wonder if there's a realistic chance that something 
uh, th something can come of it. As of right now, the president would need to win Georgia, Arizona, and Wisconsin. Uh, close, but, uh, but still long shots, razor-thin margins in those handful of states, but it's a heavy lift for the president. Uh, count, let them count the votes all this week and the beginning of next week, and then at the end of the week that's coming, uh, the week before Thanksgiving, you have to do the right thing, do the right thing for the nation. Okay, he's got a wicked bedhead going on. <laughs> I told you. He just woke up. <laughs> <laughs> I think Geraldo Geraldo is, is subscribing to the same sleep schedule as I am. Yeah. I think I'll stay up till 3 in the morning, yeah. and sleep till 11, and then do this appeal to my good friend, Donnie Trump. And as you heard there, you know, he's got his voice soft and it's gentle. And he, he's appealing to Donald Trump to leave with, quote, and this is his words, grace and dignity. And when I heard that, D, I had to laugh out loud. <laughs> grace and dignity, Corrado. I loved you as a, a kid back in the 70s. So I'm saying this as, as an admirer from back in the day. Grace and dignity, Donnie Trump? Come on, man. To quote Joe Biden. I don't think the words grace and dignity would ever, 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 ever apply to Donald Trump. But, you know, if you want to pretend that they might, I think the advice to Donald Trump would have come in better last weekend when Pennsylvania uh, was officially given to Biden. That's when Donald Trump should have uh, conceded. That's when Donald Trump should have stepped down for the good of country. That's when Donald Trump should have displayed some gracing dignity. He said, you know what, Joey B, in our uh, democracy, when uh, the loser steps down, he helps the winner with the transition. So I'm willing to help you with all aspects of the transition. But no, Donnie's resisting. He won't share, like, the, uh, the secret cables with with uh, Joe Biden, he's still pretending like Joe Biden lost and he won. He could have resigned last night when Arizona was officially called. About time, by the way. Arizona was officially uh, called uh, for Joe Biden. Right now, Biden is up $5 million in the popular vote, thereabouts. He's got 290 electoral votes. He's up in uh, Georgia. So when that recount is done, you know, he'll have over 300 electoral college votes. He'll wind up with as many electoral college votes as Donnie got in 2016, and he will have won the popular vote, something Donald Trump did not do. And apparently couldn't do and still can't. But here's the thing. I got to give her all the credit for this. He realizes that when he's speaking to Donald Trump, it's like speaking to an eight-year-old who's out of control. And he's like the Donnie whisperer. The, and that's why I call it the horse whisperer, or in this case, the horse's ass whisperer. And this goes back to this movie I saw. Tennis like that. This goes back. <laughs> this goes back to this movie I saw years ago. Robert Rever played this cowboy who could tame wild horses oh. by whispering in their ears. He like knew what to whisper to a horse to get the horse to do the right thing. I don't know if you ever saw this movie. It no. wasn't that good. But it reminds but me was, of a movie I saw when I was a teenager. Uh, the Ass Whisperer. <laughs> well, that is exactly what Geraldo is. My mom was not happy when she found <laughs> the Ass Whisperer under my yeah, bed. I, I, I don't blame her. Uh, a great movie, by the way. Anyway, so like Robert Redford would whisper in the horse's ear, like, or whatever he would whisper, and the horse would like suddenly stop bucking and like, oh, can you get on my saddle now? 
And that's kind of what Geraldo is doing. He's whispering into the president's ear. And so he has to say the things, all the things that uh, Donald Trump wants to hear. So he doesn't have a you know, little tamper tantrum. So he has to say things like, oh, they're all backstabbers. And oh, you were a great president. Then he takes this like random shot at Dr. Fauci saying, isn't it funny that now Dr. Fauci is saying is optimistic about a vaccine, even though he's really not that optimistic about the vaccine. I was actually like listening or reading about uh, Dr. Fauci's comments about the vaccine. He's continually doing what he's been doing for the last year, being, you know, Debbie Downer about the uh, about the pandemic, telling people you got to stay inside. You can't go outside. The worst is yet to come. It's going to be a terrible winter. Wear the mask. Wash your hands. That vaccine won't be coming for a long, long time. And when it does come, it's not going to be instantaneously distributed to everybody in the country. So he's, he's not doing anything remotely like what Geraldo is suggesting, which is like, He's suggesting that Dr. Fauci withheld his optimism about the vaccine until after the election in order to undermine Donald Trump. And now he's trying to say uh, he's trying to, like, again, undermine Donald Trump by saying, wow, this pandemic's about to end just in time for Joe Biden. It's all stuff in the imagination of Donald Trump and paranoia in the minds of Donald Trump. And so. Geraldo is whispering into his ears things that he knows Trump would want to hear. And here's the topper where, where Geraldo goes on this, this, this riff about what a great job Donald Trump has done helping the nation, helping lead us through this pandemic. And that just like struck me as so bizarre because we're in the middle of it. The second wave is hit. I don't know what Donald Trump has been doing to help. I can't think of anything he has done except to hinder. Just think about it. In the first week of November, the last week of October, he was crossing the country from one state to the next, holding rallies, thousands of MAGA people in tight quarters, hardly anyone wearing a mask, hacking in each other's face. And Trump's like, COVID, COVID, COVID. I'm sick and tired of hearing about. Meanwhile, like the tally is just growing of people who've got the Corlandowski, Ben Carson. I think it was like I saw a headline, 130 or so Secret Service agents got the virus. You watch, there'll be reports of outbreaks in the states that uh, where the rallies were held. Geraldo Rivera, here's a lowdown on your friend. If Donald Trump is fighting so hard for the second term, why has he quit on the first one? He's still the president. He should be leading the charge for like, I don't know, a second round of stimulus for all the cities and states and people who are struggling because they can't work. Because there's no... There's no funds coming in to operate government on the local level. The second wave is hitting. It's even going to be worse. It'd be harder budget crunches for states like Illinois, cities like Chicago. He could be using his bully pulpit to, I don't know, get people to wear masks. But he's not doing any of that. He's hiding out in the White House. He's sulking and he's tweeting. He's trying to pit one part of America against the other one. But, you know, if this is what it takes... If this is what it takes to get Trump to do the right thing and just step aside, if this is what it requires, Geraldo, to whisper in his ear, to tell him all the things he wants to hear, to tell him how everyone is against him and they're backstabbing, but even though he's a wonderful, great president, the greatest president ever 
who made America great again, if that's what it takes, Geraldo, then keep whispering in the horse's ear. We got a great show today, everybody. Who, remember who, 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's go. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> oh my. Seriously, what is that? Is that your attic? No, D. It's that it's that Falcon. Anyway, Romana Hussein will be here. We're going to play that Gerardo Rivera for uh, get her uh, riffs on that. A lot of political talk ahead of us. Before we do that, the young man from Alton, the man who knows the difference between a falcon and a hawk. They call <laughs> that back home at Alton. They call him Doctor D with the news. What's going on, everybody? Name's Dennis. Hey, Claire, welcome back to the live stream chat. Where you been? Hope things are well. Claire's back on the live stream chat. Ben, say hey. Well, I just want to do something out of the 70s, uh, just like Gerardo Rivera. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Come on, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome. Well, they treat you a lot. Doo-doo-doo. Well, that is not the way to get younger people listening to this show, Ben. <laughs> Come on, everybody loves Welcome Back, Connor. Come on. They're all watching it at Nick and Knight. Millennials love Welcome Back, Connor. Before we find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois for the fourth and final time this week, we need to try our best in getting every single one of you listening right now to download this weekend's Benny J bonus interviews. Every Saturday, Sunday, and Monday while we're away, a brand new interview for you to play at the Chicago Reader website and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Let's go through the lineup here. On Saturday, we got Jason Lee. Wait, Jason Lee? My name is Earl. Jason Lee is a great political strategist here in the city of Chicago. So a left of center political strategist, works for United Working Families, and um, he's from Texas. He hails from Texas. He knows a thing or two about uh, Texas politics. So we're going to be talking about uh, the election, demographic changes in Texas, the uh, opportunities for Dems to make inroads there someday, I hope. Uh, Maybe Jason will sign on to my plan to move hipsters from California to Texas. Uh, somebody else was just telling me, no, they should tell me they should move the hipsters to Wyoming. It's catching on this notion of moving hipsters out of California. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Jason and I will be breaking down. And we're also talking uh, fair tax issues. And what the, you know, this is a theme. Uh, you, this is a theme. This is uh, that I've been dealing with a lot of my guests uh, over the last week. And it'll be a theme that you hear over the weekend. Uh, the different uh, segments of the Democratic Party are starting to be at, at odds with one another. I've been watching this quite interesting. Uh, our old friend David Sirota uh, has put together, David Sirota, a leftist journalist, was a speechwriter for Bernie Sanders and now has his own um, uh, blog that he does. Uh, and he is outspoken in his opposition to sort of the Lincoln Project segment of the Democratic Party, which is a bizarre thing to call it because the Lincoln Project was put together by Republicans. Uh, but Sirota is battling with them because he said ultimately they wasted their money and they didn't do a good job of winning over Republicans, which is what they said uh, they wanted to do. And he's urging Democrats. The lesson he wants them to take away from the last election uh, is to what? To be more left, to be more like Bernie. And that is the key uh, to winning for the Democrats. So he's advocating that. Then you have people like Connor Lamb, the congressman in uh, Pennsylvania, the moderate who barely won, he held on to his seat. Uh, and he is saying, no, the Sorotas of the world and the AOCs of the world are going too far to the left. They're, they're pretty, making people like him vulnerable, putting people like him in a very uh, awkward position because they're, they're running with, they needed Trump voters to win. 
And so what he says is that the AOCs and the Sorotas of the world have never come up with a strategy that has won over Trump. It's a very real and important debate going on in the Democratic Party. Uh, so I've been asking a lot of my uh, guests about it. Jason Lee, I'll be talking to him about that. That'll be available at 5 a.m. on Saturday. On to Sunday's interview. He's a reoccurring guest on the program. He knows quite a bit, and my God, this guy can play the guitar. <laughs> we call him PC. It's Peter Cunningham. What are you going to be talking about with Peter this time, Ben? Well, it's uh, Peter is uh, represents sort of the Joe Biden wing of the Democratic Party. You know, we got some Joe Biden types come on this show. He's not just lefty land here. And uh, PC used to work for uh, Daily, and he's uh, and Arnie Duncan. He's he's uh, pals with Rahm Emanuel. Uh, and so he'll come on the show. He just wrote an essay in the in the Chicago Tribune are urging Democrats to come together. And he's all about the messaging. Uh, so he's he's basically saying you can take the raw ideas that the AOCs and Davis Roters uh, are proposing. But you have to like nuance it. <laughs> nuance the messaging uh, so that people buy into it. So we'll be talking to him, getting his reactions uh, to sort of this debate that's ongoing. And uh, as I said, uh, Jason comes at it more from uh, the left. We have two people this weekend uh, who are coming at it more from the left. And PC is a centrist. That'll be Sunday, 5 a.m., just like Saturday's interview, available by 5 a.m. And finally, on Monday... Well, we haven't talked with uh, State Rep Delia Ramirez in a while, so we had her on and we talked with her last night. Ben, tell people about this interview with Delia Ramirez. Yeah, it's excellent. Uh, she did an excellent job. Delia Ramirez is now, she just won re-election, so second term state representative for the northwest side of Chicago again. More to the left. Uh, I think Adelia was a Bernie Sanders supporter. I think she was. Adelia, if I have it wrong, I apologize. But she's with the Working Families uh, Party here in uh, Chicago. And so she, uh, we, we talked about these wider issues. And then we also got into uh, a little Michael Joseph Medigan talk because she's a Democratic state representative. And as such, she's dealing with the issue of what to do about Michael. Is there a song? Da, 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 what to do with somebody uh, it's a Broadway musical Dennis is looking at me like where did that Maria how do you handle that I like Maria <laughs> just came to me man West Side Story one of Dennis's favorite musicals I mean it's true <laughs> it's true I love that story um, like every now and then Dennis will break in tonight tonight I'll see my love <laughs> It's true. And sometimes in the morning, Dennis will wake up and go, I feel pretty. Oh, so witty. Okay, you're giving these people too many behind the scenes looks here. All right. Uh, so anyway, what do you do with what do you do with Maria? What do you do with Michael Joseph Madigan? How do you handle a girl like Maria? That's I think that's the title. Anyway, so we had a little Michael Madigan talk. Uh, good stuff. And Delia. also Delia recently got married. Congratulations, Delia. You'll hear more about that with our Monday Benny J bonus interview. So let's recap, huh? Saturday, Jason Lee. No, not my name is Earl. Sunday, Peter Cunningham, PC. And Monday, State Rep Delia Ramirez. All three of these available 5 a.m at uh, Chicago Reader website and wherever else you download your favorite podcast. Okay, local news. Let's go. Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker. I'm yeah. not a perfect person. Today, <laughs> today, the governor will be at the Thompson Center, of course, for his 230 COVID-19 update. 
And guys, uh, not sure if you've heard this or not, but things aren't looking too great on the COVID front. Positive COVID-19 tests are surging in Illinois, and it looks like we're headed back to the way things were when this whole damn pandemic started. Here in Chicago, a 30-day stay-at-home advisory is underway, and more mitigation efforts are happening all throughout the states. Indoor dining is banned again. Stores are closing earlier. You know how this goes by now. And that's why Governor Pritzker announced his new COVID-19 campaign today. And, you know, say what you will about the governor, and I'm sure all of our downstate listeners will, but damn, this guy knows how to create a campaign. So, Ben, let's take a little time to talk about his latest campaign, introducing the J.B. Pritzker Healthy Holidays to You campaign. (laughs) Well, you like that. (laughs) Here's the Team Pritzker press release. With a new wave of COVID-19 sweeping the nation and concerning trends here in Illinois, Governor J.B. Pritzker launched a new awareness campaign today to encourage residents to take safety precautions throughout the upcoming holiday season to protect themselves and their families and ultimately save lives. The Illinois Department of Public Health is recommending that residents stay home as much as possible and leave for only essential activities. To provide safer ways to celebrate, Healthy Holidays to You highlights what doctors and scientists consider top methods to reduce your risk of contracting or spreading the virus. Limiting gatherings to your immediate family or keeping them virtual, maintaining six feet of distance from others, and wearing a mask, whether you're indoors or out. Ahead of the holiday season, uh, Illinois Department of Health has provided recommendations for keeping you and your family safe from the virus. That's from Governor J.B. Pritzker. He also said we are making every effort to remind people what epidemiologists and other infectious disease specialists say are the best ways to reduce the risk of contracting COVID-19. Traditions are so important to all of us, but this year we all need to celebrate a little bit differently. Uh, And, well, like all of his campaigns, the governor has put some money into his Healthy Holidays to You campaign. And right now, in my face, a 15-second Healthy Holidays to You PSA to play for all of you. Let's give it a listen. Uh, Governor Pritzker, anything you'd like to say before we play this face coverings okay great (laughs) interesting here it is our first of maybe many healthy holidays to you ads over the wi-fi and through the zoom to grandmother's house we go host a virtual celebration to see more friendly faces and protect your most vulnerable family and friends let's all stay safe together your healthy holiday starts at allin.illinois.gov Hey, wait, was that Union Man Ed Maher talking there? <laughs> he had some, oh my God, he had, uh, Ed's got some pipes and that guy had some pipes as well. I don't know, D, I, I, the whole thing depresses me. Finding it harder and harder to talk about the pandemic because it's really, uh, it's just so depressing. And I realize that Governor Pritzker is trying to do the right thing, trying to put out the right message, but just the thought of like cautioning people about getting together for Thanksgiving is just, be careful, be scared, be very scared. But, uh, you know, the reality is it's what we have to do, but it's just depressing. What can I tell you? I'm not bummed out. I was kind of feeling pretty good. Now I'm bummed out, D. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, and he didn't try to do the, I don't know what the Lori was up to. The more I think about with that PSA yesterday, we're going to be discussing. Oh, the Lori month, Lightfoot so. one from yeah. yesterday? Oh, boy. I, I, I really, you know, I'm Everybody's struggling with this, I know, and it's it's uh, easy to take shots at people. But uh, the reality is that J.B. Pritzker, as governor of the state of Illinois, is largely responsible for minimizing uh, the impact of the pandemic in Illinois. 
And so he has to do these things, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, and no matter what he does, is going to irritate some segment of the state or another. So any attempt uh, to close down the economy, to limit our interactions, will spark outrage throughout the state. We all know we're talking about it. MAGA is just still defiant. Uh, in regards to uh, efforts by the government to protect ourselves from the virus. So he's in a really rough uh, predicament, political predicament. And the reality is, is I'm like, I'm as weary as everybody else, D. You know, uh, from the pandemic, I usually at this time of year, I go visit with my kids. And obviously, I'm not going to be going anywhere. We stuck right here in the attic looking at the hawk or the falcon, excuse me, as it flies around. So, yeah, from a political standpoint, I feel for uh, J.B. Pritzker because, D, nobody is looking at him as a hero anymore. You notice that? Remember in the early days, people would know, oh, he's so popular. Then MAGA. Uh, ignited I was saying, resistance. dude, was going to run for president. Yeah, well, <laughs> that ain't happening. Well, uh, I mean, it's not completely out of the picture, is it? Uh, well, no, it's no, you're right. It's not completely. Uh, Frank sent me. Uh, thank you, Frank. Frank's on a roll is with these uh, updates. He sends me uh, this a tweet put out by Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, QAnon congresswoman from Georgia. Uh, this this one's a piece of work. D. I'll read it to you. Our first session of new member orientation covered COVID in Congress. This is from Congresswoman-elect Marjorie Taylor Greene. Masks, masks, masks. I proudly told my freshman class that masks are oppressive. In Georgia, we work out, shop, go to restaurants, go to work, and school without masks. My body, my choice for your face. That's utter insanity. I mean, I don't know what to say. You know, how many Secret Service men have... Have got it. Have COVID now? I think 130 or so. You know, Dick Uline. Oh my God, <laughs> Dick Uline and his wife uh, have it. He's the mega donor to the Republican Party, far right, gazillionaire. Uh, is always giving money. Gave big supporter of Bruce Rauner. Now he's got it. So. You know, obviously the wealthy people that have it, they have access to health care. They're a little better shape. Donald Trump. Oh, my God. Dave Chappelle. Have you, did you watch the Dave Chappelle opening monologue on Saturday Night Live? D? Yeah, I watched you it. See, oh, the bit about the helicopter picking up Donald Trump and taking him to the hospital. And then Chappelle goes, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm just saying you, you kind of could have walked there. I just thought it was hilarious. Um, but, you know, like a helicopter service from his house to the hospital. When he when the helicopter lands, there's just like 10 doctors waiting for him. Nobody in America has that kind of service. Everybody else, every other city is like running out of hospital beds. I just read an article about El Paso, Texas. They're like putting beds, hospital beds in the uh, parking lot of the hospital. So it's a serious pandemic, but nope. Not according to the QAnon congresswoman. So this is what JB has to deal with. This is why I'm much more sympathetic uh, to JB than a lot of a lot of people in the state, because uh, he is in a delicate position to put him out. All right. Well, I know uh, you usually uh, have family gatherings on Thanksgiving. What's the plan for you this year? Well, as I said, we're not going anywhere, and so just kind of a <laughs> sad. <laughs> We're sitting around the fire pit uh, with my lovely wife and, uh, you know, just the two of us, man, as the song says, just the two of us. Guys, you've gotten like five songs of the day today. You're so lucky, you listeners. Yeah. Is any, and is yeah. anybody else picturing uh, Ben just 
holding the turkey, like staring out the window, looking at the porta potty. Anybody else no. picturing that right now? Because I'll be uh, around the fire pit. That's what I'll be doing with that turkey wing. And, you know, some Jack Daniels and a doobie. That'll be my Thanksgiving. That's, what are you going to do? You don't smoke pot. I'm, I'm going to be uh, just hanging here in the city, not going downstate. Just hanging here in the city, laying low this Thanksgiving. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's how it goes. Shout out mm-hmm. to Kyle on the live stream chat. Kyle says, dude, it's a stupid tragedy of American society that we are doing an awareness campaign for a pandemic. Eight months into the same pandemic. What a failure, culturally and societally speaking. Uh, it's absolutely. God, I wish I thought of that. That's a great point. Like we're doing PSAs and get it's because America just got tired. It just got tired of having to be inside. You know, I'm tired of it. I'm a, America just like declared it was over. Different parts of it declared it earlier. First, we had MAGA uh, with uh, Operation Gridlock in Michigan, and uh, yeah. So now you got to remind people again, uh, guys, this thing is really nope. Nope, nobody wants to deal with it. So you're right. It's a, it's a, a low point. Absolutely, I agree with you. All right, moving on to the news in the city of Chicago. No public event scheduled for our Chicago mayor, Lori Lightfoot. Science is back, baby. All right, science is back, oh, baby. Oh, God, I don't see any evidence of that, but whatever. In the last few weeks, Mayor Lightfoot has been meeting with her fellow city council alderman about mm. her 2021 budget. And according to the following story, they haven't been the friendliest meetings. It's time for another episode of everyone's favorite Chicago political soap opera, People, It Is Time for a mayor and her alderman. A mayor and her alderman. I don't want an answer. It's not something you ignore. I think you're 100% full of shit is what I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I always, you know, whenever things are getting a little gloomy around here, D, whenever I think about Thanksgiving, uh, just separated from my family, sitting around the fire pit looking at the falcon, Drinking Jack Daniels, dreaming about smoking a doobie. Uh, I just then, to make my cheer myself up, I just think of Raylo and Lori in that exchange. I think, <laughs> oh my God, it always makes me smile. By the way, the Tribune, you didn't see this in the, today's Tribune. They, I am jumping ahead of us, but they recounted that. Yeah, they, they at the very end of their story, they had like a. They were talking about how the mayor has been having these uh, virtual meetings with uh, uh, aldermen, and some of them have erupted into nastiness. At the very end of the story, they brought it back and they quoted it. But of course, unlike the Ben Jarofsky show, they uh, bleeped it out, if you will, in the newspaper. They wrote uh, S dash dash dash. But I knew what it meant, D. Yeah, because I've been listening to our show for a long time. I go, I know what that means. Can't fool me, Tribune. The following comes from the Chicago Tribune and Gregory Pratt. As Mayor Lori Lightfoot works behind the scenes to muster the votes she needs to pass her 2021 city budget, she has delivered a message to city council members. Those who vote against her spending plan should not expect their wards to be prioritized. Here's the very frank quote from Lightfoot, according to two aldermen. Quote, don't come to me for shit for the next three years if you don't support the budget. Now, if you recall, last year, our 2020 budget was announced. I believe a 
11 aldermen voted against it, and Lightfoot went out of her way to highlight those 11 aldermen by launching a website shaming those who voted against it. In response to questions about the, uh, the mayor's latest remarks, Lightfoot spokeswoman Enel Ruiz did not uh, dispute the comments, but said in a statement that closing the city's $1.2 billion budget deficit requires sacrifice on the part of every single member, not just some. So it seems like she did, in fact, say it. Uh, Don't come to me for shit, she said there. Uh, Some aldermen were surprised by the mayor making the threat so directly. And we have quotes from a handful of aldermen. But before we do that, Ben, your thoughts here before we get into that. Well, I could go on and on about this. I uh, it was a a virtual meeting. Uh, They limited the number of What a city we live in. The last time they had this virtual meeting, or the, I, I don't know if it's the last time, but they had a virtual meeting, the, the infamous virtual meeting uh, from like May, where uh, I just alluded to it, where Raylo got into it uh, with uh, Lori Lightfoot. Apparently, um, it was in violation of the Open Meetings Act. So now they're getting smarter, in quotes. Uh, so they're having smaller groups of aldermen at these meetings. And the notion is everybody wants to speak frankly. Uh, so you have to have smaller groups and you have to have uh, you have to have it private because if it's if it's public, uh, people will be limited or maybe they'll, they'll play to the audience. Or they won't really speak openly with each other. And I wish these were public because then people could hear if uh, Lori Lightfoot make that ultimatum herself directly. And I just D, if a ward needs services. There should be no connection to how that mayor votes, or excuse me, how that alderman votes. That's like out of the Donald Trump playbook. Donald Trump figured out, well, there's blue states and the red states. The blue states will never vote for me, so I'm just going to give, I'm just going to worry about the red states and let the blue states just fall. Remember that? Remember when he said, you know, if you take out the deaths in the blue states, really not that big a deal about COVID. Remember that little moment of, of truthfulness from Donald Trump? So Lori Lightfoot's heading down that path. They mentioned in the bright one today, Jeanette Taylor. I don't know if that's one of the quotes you have, yep. but Jeanette Taylor, uh, a favorite of the show, 20th Ward Alderwoman, Jeanette Taylor, uh, defying Mayor Lightfoot. Dennis will get into that in a little bit. She's the 20th Ward on the South Side. 20th Ward may need a street to re- repave. 20th Ward may need trees trimmed. 20th Ward may need more garbage cans. I don't know. It's services. The mayor of the city of Chicago should provide those services to the people of the 20th Ward, regardless of how Jeanette Taylor votes. And I'll tell you something. This is really irritates me. This is age old Chicago politics. The wealthy wards on the north side traditionally had the independent alderman who would vote against the mayor. Never did they ever suffer from a lack of city services. Never that I can recall did a mayor, Mayor Daly, Mayor, certainly not Mayor Rahm. Oh God, he loved the North Side. Mayor Rahm or Daddy Daly punished the North Side for the independent voting habits of uh, its aldermen. Because those are the wealthiest wards in the city of Chicago. And if their services were cut, those constituents would get on the horn and start yelling at the mayor. Or maybe like in the case of Rahm, they were friends with Rahm. The constituents and stuff would just like write emails to Rom and engage him. They didn't, they would just go straight to, I was going to say the horse, but whatever. I was going to say something I shouldn't say. I held back and I didn't say it. We're going to talk about so, the ass whisperer again. Yes, I was going there. So I just, I just think that uh, if mayor Lori Lightfoot 
wants to win support for her budget. Uh, she should do it by making an appeal based on the merits of the budget. She should say, listen, there's limitations that we have. But to, to make it, we can't give you everything you want this year. We're just, it's really tight. It's hard. I don't know. Make, whatever she's going to say, she should say it. But to make threats, you know, to say, don't come to me for something. You're the mayor of Chicago. You shouldn't, it shouldn't be support for the 20th Ward should not be contingent on Jeanette Taylor's support for you. I remember uh, Leslie Harrison of the 5th Ward. She was saying 5th Ward is not far from the 20th Ward. It joins, it's just to the east, uh, just south of Hyde Park. I remember uh, the alderman saying how Rahm was punishing her ward for her independence. It would not facilitate the construction of a grocery store at 72nd Street in South Shore. See, these politics have got to go. And I thought this was a new day in Chicago. So these kinds of threats, all you need are 25 votes, Mayor and Lori Lightfoot. 25 votes is all you need. And the issue right here has to do with a property tax hike. And the higher the property tax hike, the greater the rebellion on the north side. And the north side alderman apparently told her that they can only vote for so much of a property tax hike. And so she's trying to limit the property tax hike to appease north side alderman. This is how it was presented in the Sun-Times. So she's telling uh, Alderman on the South Side, I can't give you more revenue for the things you need because there'll be a rebellion on the North Side. So shut up and do what I tell you. I'm, I'm sorry. I, I disapprove of that, D. And uh, that's that's like old-fashioned machine politics. I thought the machine was dead. Apparently not. All right. We have some Aldermanic quotes here. Uh, remember the comment that Lori Lightfoot said, quote, don't come to me for shit. For the next three years, if you don't support the budget. All right, on to the responses here. Our first alderman, well, there have been braver. The first alderman asked to be anonymous. Here's the, <laughs> here's the quote from the nameless alderman. Quote, we were all floored. I was like, wait a second. You're supposed to represent the entire city. You're telling us that you're not going to represent certain areas because they don't vote for you and or they don't vote for your budget? That ain't right. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm with Dennis. That just say who you are. <laughs> Come on. That's just the point right there. Uh. Uh, Alderman Habita Habita. <laughs> Come on, Alderman. All right. On to I our mean, oh. man it up or woman it up or whatever. <laughs> that is. Come on. It's funny, D. It's, it's like uh, people come on the show the off the record versus on the record. And I've noticed that there's really, it's like that initial fear. Like when, when people talk to a reporter, it's just this initial fear. Like, oh, I'm going to be quoted what it's going to look like. Can we go off the record? I'll say. And all right, we'll go off the record. Get your thoughts, you know. Uh, and then they'll speak frankly. And you bring them on the show. And you go, remember, everything there is no off the record when you're an open mic. Everything you say is going to be heard or potentially heard by the people that you're kind of worried about hearing it. And they go, okay, okay, I got to do it. And then this, once they get going, you know what? Their on-the-record comments in front of the mic are not that much different than the off-the-record things they said. So like nine times out of ten, the things they say that are off-the-record that should not be uh, – that they don't want to be identified to are not that outrageous like this. 
I mean, what is outrageous about this? Think about it. People ask for program. Uh, she said, people ask for program ideas, ask for money, and ask for different things. And when I put them in there, they don't vote for the budget. I've been burned on that. And I'm going to be burned again. What's outrageous about that? Oh, I guess it's because they're reporting on a private conversation. That's why I'm saying these little budget sessions shouldn't be private. They should be public. If Mayor Lori Lightfoot feels compelled to intimidate aldermen into voting for a budget, then she should say so. She should say, and you know what? I got a feeling, by the way, I don't think she would refrain from it. That's something about Lori Lightfoot that even though, you don't know all over the map on this one, D. Remember when, um, was it? Oh, Stacy, Stacy Davis Gates was on the show and we were reviewing with Lori Lightfoot went up to the, a person outside uh, a schoolhouse and went in her face and was wagging her finger. Stacy was talking about that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, it was a bully move, but you know, she was being Lori Lightfoot. I, I think a lot of people kind of admire that. Uh, and uh, so I don't know why she doesn't come out and say it. Be honest. Why are you hiding behind private meetings, phone calls, virtual meetings that nobody else. By the way, what do you think the odds are someone recorded it? That's how that first virtual meeting, you know, with the famous uh, Raylo exchange, Mm -hmm. somebody, we don't know who, a lot of finger pointing in that one. Remember I asked Raylo, did you record it? He goes, (laughs) he just kind of laughed at me. That's that's how you handle it, folks. When someone asks you a question, just kind of laugh at it. Go, uh, one next question, please. All right, now our so ne- I I, uh, I I think they should have those public. Anyway, D, go ahead. Now our next alderman didn't mind sharing their identity, and that's because she's a badass. It's JT twenty twentieth Ward Alderwoman Jeanette Taylor. Remember the quote from Lori Lightfoot uh, to the Black Caucus uh, about her budget was quote Don't come to me for shit for the next three years if you don't support the budget. JT20's comment, quote, and I love this woman. Here it is. This is some bullshit. We're elected just like you are. Taylor did not return repeated phone calls. Neither did Alderman Sophia King. Been of what ward? Sophia King is the fourth one. Oh, what a dork. Uh, Chairman of the Progressive Reform Caucus, who also stood up to the mayor during the call. All right, let's do one more quote here. And he quite possibly could be Lori Lightfoot's (laughs) least favorite alderman. I want an answer. It's not something you ignore. I think you're 100% full of shit, is what I think. If you think we want to fuck you, then. Okay, guys. That's why I say, let's have these out in the open. It's exciting, good stuff. It's Alderman Ray Lopez of the 15th Ward. Ray Lo said Lightfoot statements uh, to the 20-member Black Caucus contradict the earlier statement, saying, quote, aside from the mayor who doesn't trade for votes threatening to cut people off, it just shows how desperate she is right now in trying to pass this budget. Rather than trying to listen to Alderman's concerns, she's trying to browbeat them into submission. Yeah, I'm with Ray Raylo on this one. And uh, by the way, there's some great Raylo uh, riffs uh, in this Fran Spielman article. And what I appreciate about Raylo, yeah, Raylo, he doesn't go off the record. By the way, dude, I'm really intrigued by this though. Help me, just follow me on this one, okay? Uh, sources said the mayor's threat prompted a rebuke from Alder Alderwoman Jeanette Taylor, 20th Ward, who told Lightfoot, "Quote: This is some bull ass." I'm not quite sure what comes after the SD. You seem to think it's shit, but I'm not quite sure. It just says S, 
dash, 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 huh? Could be something else. Uh, anyway, we're elected just like you are. Taylor did not return repeated phone calls. Well, how do you know if she said it? If she didn't return a repeated call, phone call, somebody helped put Jeanette Taylor out there. Uh, Jeanette said this. Uh, but um, no, there was this other exchange. Follow me on this one, uh, where Mayor Lori Lightfoot is trying to swap uh, votes, uh, get the people to support her budget in exchange for carve outs uh, on the issue of immigrants uh, being harassed by federal agents. And uh, Raylo really uh, gets to the heart of that one. He says he's trying to win over, like, uh, what did he put? Like, lefties, aldermen. Uh, I guess she's talking about aldermen who come on the Ben Jarofsky show other than Raylo. So a lot of political gamesmanship going here uh, in regards to the budget. Lori Lightfoot is trying to stitch together a, a majority. And look, Mayor Lightfoot, I'm just saying, political advice that uh, you don't have to follow. And if you're like most politicians, you won't follow. But all you need are 25 votes. That's all you need. You would be the 26. There's no, like, shame in not having 48 aldermen vote for your budget. I thought it was foolish when those days, when Mayor Rahm would twist arms, desperate to get 48 aldermen, had a show, big sign of support. It's kind of this weird attitude that we have in Chicago. That's just, all you need to do is pass your budget. So twisting arms and threatening to, to cut off services, that's not a good look. To put it mildly, uh, and um, you know, and also a uh, friend quoted her from earlier. She goes, uh, "Lightfoot argued the city is not a rubber stamp because, quote, I don't buy votes." This is also from that story. D. I'm not saying to somebody, if I get your vote, I'll give you this project. You'll get this money. That's not the way I'm going to operate. The mayor said then. Now well, it looks like she's singing a different tune now. In other words, if you don't vote for my budget, I'm not going to give you beep. So, not a good look. Mayor Lori Lightfoot, not a good look. So what will happen next? Well, I guess we're going to have to wait and find out. And guys, I'm on the edge of my seat after that update. But we're going to have to wait and find out for the next episode of A Mayor and Her Alderman. A Mayor and Her Alderman. Science is back, baby. (laughs) Political science? That's back, Chicago City Council. Shout out to Brianna on the live stream chat. She made a very interesting comment. I would love to get your thoughts on this, Ben. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brianna says, Lori is out roming Mayor Rom. What do you think? Uh, well, I can't say that definitively because I never heard the private conversations of Rahm Emanuel. But uh, Brianna, to your point, it sure sounds like something Rom would do. You know, this kind of it's like bullying tactics. Uh, but and, and it does, it's straight up Rom. Rom, like, you know, remember Rom sat Karen Lewis down. This is what you're going to do when he got was elected. He was still mayor elect. You're going to tell your union flunkies to fall in line. I'm going to close your schools and cut your salaries and turn over uh, schools to charters, and you're just going to like it. So, yeah, there is a, a little Rom like quality to it, Brianna. I wish we could have heard. The private conversations of Rom. Raylo, where were you? And I needed you for that. <laughs> Actually, I do not know it was Raylo that uh, taped that first one. So let me just amend that. Uh, but uh, we could have used, I would have loved, that would have been very entertaining. Private conversations of Rom Emanuel to his alderman. The F-bomb would have been flying. Right, D? Rom loved the F-bomb. 
Steve on the live stream or Steven on the live stream chat says she's even rommier than Rom. At least <laughs> at least Rom wanted 50 votes. Lori just wants 26. Yeah, well, she needs Lori probably wants over 30 because, uh, you know, it's like that, that we even know how many votes, no votes there were. You know, I can't, I can't think of any contested legislative issue that we know the votes on. But we all know, like we chart the number of no votes in a mayor's budget. It's a sign of oh, the mayor's weakening powers. You know, the strong mayors, fifty to nothing. It was arguably the most embarrassing moment of the twenty-first century for the Chicago City Council when they passed Mayor Rom's first budget. Well, when they passed it at all, but fifty to nothing. Scott Wagesback is honest. He goes, "I'm embarrassed by the vote." That was in 2011, and they voted, among other things, to cut the mental health clinics. An embarrassing moment in the city of Chicago. But for Rahm, it was a sign of, look at me. I'm the man. I come from Washington. I control the aldermen. They're my little puppets. Embarrassing moment for the city of Chicago, and Rahm acted like that was a sign of leadership. And so much of corporate and civic Chicago buys into that. We need order in Chicago. And in their mind, the order in Chicago is when Alderman do whatever the mayor tells them. So I welcome democracy in the city of Chicago, D. And I know that Mayor Lori Lightfoot can get those 25 votes. I know she can. I believe she can. I'm not saying I'm going to agree with the budget they pass, but I don't think she has to resort to threats. In fact, I think there are many aldermen in the Black Caucus who would vote with Lori without the threats. Because I know a lot of the aldermen in the Black Caucus and their repu- and their their careers, their reputations, they're go-along types. Gonna, they don't need Lori to threaten them to win their vote. So, you know, Dave, when I think about it, what's worse? Giving an alderman, quote-unquote, like money for a park in order to win his or her vote? Or... Say, you're not getting any money for any park if you don't vote for me. What's worse? I think the the first one is better. You know what I'm saying? I'm just like, you know, we're all friends in this. That park you need, I'm going to, you know, that park, I'm going to give you that park. And you kind of clean, you, you cleaned up that second option. It was, uh, don't ask me for shit. <laughs> <laughs> Lori, I'll tell you what, Lori, behind the scenes, whoo. That's why I say let's get more of this out there. If it's kind of like, if nothing else, it exposes the utter hypocrisy. But no swearing. <laughs> you know, we're not going to swear. I, th- I thought you were allowed to write the word shit in the newspaper now. No, D. I guess not. Huh? Guess New York Times does. But I, I would. Did they write shithole countries in the papers, or are they still writing? Asshole. I guess it varies newspaper to race. Paper to newspaper. Yeah, very interesting. But that's our local news, guys. Uh, feel free to weigh in on the live stream chat if you were listening live. We would love to hear from you. Also, several ways you can reach us, okay? You can send us an email, bennyjshow at gmail.com. Leave us a message. Uh, if you want us to read your message on the program, leave your name and where you're from. Very helpful. Uh, you can call the Ben Jarofsky Show. Yes, we have a phone number, 708-658-4788. The number again, 708-658-4788. We're not going to answer, but just leave us a voicemail, and there's a good chance we will play your voicemail on the show. And online, you can find us at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We would love to hear from you. Guys, we're going to take a break here, and when we come back, 
Ramana Hussein will be joining us. It's another Ramana Rundown. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show. We are live from my apartment in Ben's attic. People, don't go anywhere. A mayor and her alderman. I want an answer. It's not something you ignore. I think you're 100% full of shit is what I think. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture, food, 
arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Number two of your Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you by the Chicago Reader and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. Before I bring uh, Ramana Hussein on every Friday on our show, Ramana Hussein, it's just to make a comment about uh, those Michael Girardi songs. Big fan of Michael Girardi, and I really appreciate him uh, turning that music over for us to play. Anyway, my worlds converged today, D. Uh, at, at 2 o'clock, generally, we reach out to a guest. We play a Michael Girardi song while the connection's happening, and I get to watch my guests uh, listening to Michael Girardi as he's playing. And I, Maya Dukmasova comes on the show uh, quite frequently. She's like always like rocking out to Girardi. I notice her. She's like, yeah, got her head bopping back and forth. Uh, she doesn't uh, do uh, air guitar like I do, but uh, she's almost there. Anyway, lo and behold, I'm reading Maya's latest story, which is in a, uh, she's freelanced to a, a, an internet alf- uh, publication called The Appeal. And it was all about how uh, the mayor of the city of Chicago was raising bridges uh, to try to restrict flow into the loop, uh, to cut down on looting, I suppose that's the reason that she was doing it, uh, and the uh, impact it had on the lives of people who had to get to the loop or get around the city and how it inconvenienced them. And lo and behold, what do I see in this article? Michael Girardi quoted, and I, I'm not sure Maya knew that that's the guy that she's rocking out to, playing air guitar uh, while she waits uh, to come on the air. Uh, so anyway, it's kind of my world was coming together. Like, oh, my God, that's Michael Gerard. Anyway, um, another person who plays air guitar when she hears Michael Girardi is our next guest, Ramana Hussein <laughs> from the Chicago Sun-Times, editor, columnist, dear friend of the Ben Jarofsky show. Ramana, before we get to the, do you ever play air guitar? No. Okay. <laughs> I mean, maybe I did in the 90s, like when, you know, hard rock was really in. But, you know, I know I've read about air guitar competitions that they have in Europe somewhere. I forgot where. I want to say it was like it was like some country, like some Nordic country. But they have like this huge like air guitar contest. And I remember just laughing about it. I read it in Spin magazine, I think, or Rolling Stone a few years back. And just wonder. Yeah, how, I don't know if air like, guitar. How do, you win, how do you win an air guitar contest? You're not playing a guitar. You're just pretending you're playing a guitar and I don't know. I guess it's probably the movements and the enthusiasm you have. Well, absolutely. We, we can ask yeah. Ben. He's going to be in the next competition. <laughs> yeah. uh, so. yeah. Ramana, sure. I, I have a confession to make here. Uh, I big time air guitar player. Uh, I'm always playing air guitar. And um, so, for instance, I feel like when I'm playing air guitar, like last night, I came home and my wife was w- listening to Caravanserai, uh, a Carlos Santana album from 1972. I'm not even sure uh, you were even born yet. I know Dennis wasn't born yet anyway, but I know, I know I've heard that album so many times that I could from do the guitar riffs and I would like, just, you, it's just like the way you play the air guitar is like, you're imagining the way Carlos Santana would hit the notes. You're holding note. So it's like, and you just kind of hold that note. Then you go up, 
the guitar to down. Anyway, it's you know it's not as easy as it looks, Ramon. I'm just saying, unless you've tried it, it's not that easy. Uh, all right, enough on uh, air guitar. Uh, there's so much to discuss in the world today. The first point I want to make, and um, we're going to get to that Gerardo Rivera bit. I got to get your thoughts on that Gerardo Rivera bit. We're going to have Dennis play it, then we're going to riff on that. But Donald Trump, in my humble opinion is the biggest sore loser that I have ever seen in politics. I've been covering, following politics, Romana, for a long time. Richard Nixon was a far better loser, you know what I mean, uh, than Donald Trump. Richard Nixon left office. He did the right thing. He left office. He did the right thing. He conceded to JFK. So, you know, I always thought Richard Nixon was like the epitome of a bad sport in politics, but Donald Trump is hands down, the biggest sore loser. This is my humble opinion. What's your reaction to how Donald Trump is handling losing? Losing, I got to emphasize that, the presidential yeah. election. To, yeah, to I mean, I, 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 have, I haven't seen um, anything of this nature during my lifetime. Um, so I don't know. I When was Richard Nixon president? In the six, late 60s, right? I know 1968 I know to 1974. Yeah. Okay. So I was born when Nixon was president, but I was not aware of politics at, at that point. I was really young. So, um, yeah, Donald Trump uh, just not conceding. I've never seen that happen before. Um, you know, we saw Hillary Clinton concede, like, in the wee hours in 2016, and um, most of my lifetime – my lifetime, I've never seen a president not concede. And it's just interesting for me. It's, you know, we kind of expected this, didn't we? Donald Trump, you know, he calls everybody else losers. So like for him, it's like, he's a loser. And I don't know if you saw that, but if you look up loser.com, it goes to Donald Trump's Wikipedia page. I mean, everybody's (laughs) been sharing that. So I think, I think this is like, you know, it's like, yeah, not just losing the presidency, but it's like his ego, like, Oh God, I lost something. He can't admit it. And the thing that is more disturbing, I think for me is his, um, you know, a lot of fellow Republicans who are basically, you know, goading him, saying that what he's doing, he's like, you know, totally fine. And, you know, you hear somebody like Mike Pompeo or Mitch McConnell, they're just kind of coddling him like he's like some sort of baby, you know, and, you know, telling him it's going to be okay and what he's doing is okay. And it's, and it's, it's, I don't know, I just find that even a step more disturbing than Donald Trump, because I think everybody saw this with Donald Trump. Well, he's coming with Donald Trump. I think yeah. a lot of people aren't, aren't there. Look, haven't there been articles written that people around him, um, you know, know that the writing's on the wall, but they're still just trying to keep him happy and, you know, giving him false hope. And, you know, I know there's no way that he doesn't know he can't see the writing on the wall. I mean, can he be that dumb? But I don't know. Well, he's um, Donald Trump his entire career. uh He's been able to get himself out of predicaments that most people uh, would never escape. And so, for instance, I've talked about this a lot on the show with his uh, Trump Tower here in uh, Chicago. He borrowed money, made pledges to repay the money. And when he was unable to uh, repay those pledges, he uh, instead of like having to face face the fire, so to speak, he countersued. He sued the people that owed that he owed the money to and claimed uh, that they were damaging him. Uh, and so his entire career as a businessman, he's escaped accountability and responsibility. Uh, he's been able to go bankrupt several times uh, and survive. 
so he's able to do things that most people uh, have been unable to do, mainly because he's got this strong sense of entitlement and willfulness, and also because the, the sums involved were so enormous that the banks were worried about getting their money back, so they had to make accommodations. So I think he's been prepared Think about it. Just go one step further. Everybody else in the country was facing the the war in Vietnam. He got his father got some doctor to write up some medical excuse that got him out of the war. He's always been able to escape accountability, responsibility. In the end, people placate him. So, Ramon, yeah. I think this is a continuation of something that's been going on his whole life. Exactly, and they call him Teflon Don. I mean, he's able to get away with a lot of things. Where I look look back and I think about the things that he's gotten away with, and I'm like. Could you imagine if Barack Obama um, was president? Um, this would never he would have been out of office within like months. And Donald Trump has been able to get away with a lot of things. Many presidents wouldn't wouldn't have and especially an African-American president. Well, uh, and it's one step further here, Ramana. And I'm listening to what you said. This triggered this thought in my mind. There's a sense of victimization uh, that at the heart of the MAGA appeal, like they're the victims. Yeah. They're always getting picked on. It, political correctness works against them. They can't say mean, nasty things about me and you, but we can say nasty things about them. And Donald Trump uh, appealed to that sense of victimhood. And now he's playing the, the victim. Phil, like when he goes, Pennsylvania, it's Philadelphia. When they talk about Michigan, it's Detroit. You yeah. know what they're saying, Romana. You know, know what he's know. really saying there. Yeah, for sure. It's, we know what he's saying. He's saying black people, right? Yes. But then, it, then it, you know, then the next day he says that you know he has he talks about how many black friends he has and how he's you know the best president that African Americans had ever had or has done the most for African Americans. So he's like speaking from both sides of his mouth. And one of your homework assignments to me was to read the book Cast uh-huh. by Isabel Wilkerson, and I just finished that book, and Ooh. the book really touches upon. Um, you know, white supremacy in this country and how there's a caste system, basically. And, you know, a lot of folks, and she touches upon, the author touches upon uh, Donald Trump's presidency and how this is just, um, you know, a lot of people, you know, maybe not right outright, they know this, but like psychologically, they're just trying to hold on to their white supremacy. And Donald Trump speaks to that, you know, victimization that, you know, oh, wow, we're like, there's fewer white people than we are before. I mean, how many times do you hear about Donald Trump supporters saying about what they like about Donald Trump? Because because he's preserving traditions and values. And um, I know I'm an outsider. I'm a, a South Asian and I'm a Muslim. But growing up, when I thought like what Americans talked about, values and tradition i never thought of someone like donald trump or the way he lives his life or the things that he stands for so i don't know it's it's very interesting so a lot of times i i hear traditions and you know old way of life and keep america you know make america great again we know what that's a dog whistle for i urge everybody to to recast by uh, c-a-s-t-e cast by isabel wilkerson uh when i first was talking about it a couple months ago dennis was teasing me you mean the commas for the tribute no that's cast (laughs) okay this is as far removed from johnny cast as you can get uh yeah a cast by Isabel Wilkerson. It's just such a powerful book. It, it was great. Uh, and I was you know, I was going to say, because I'm Indian and I'm, you know, have been to India, I know a little bit about the caste system. And I just thought it was impressive because I know a little bit about that and how different castes are kept in their place. And it was it was it was brilliant. And, you know, she talks obviously about Nazism and 
was wonderful. The, 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 there were so many elements of the book. This is a tangent I didn't expect to go on, but there were so many elements of the book. We could do a whole show on, on yeah. the book cast. Yeah, I definitely can. Uh, there, the, but the element that uh, just hit me so hard, Ramana, uh, was when I was reading uh, the book and she had a, a detail about how in the 30s, Nazi propagandists and lawyers who were trying to set up a system that would separate Jews from uh, mainstream German society studied the South, yep. the United States, to learn from Jim Crow what they could do in Germany to the Jews, to learn from how American Jim Crow Southern system treated black people. That blew my mind that they studied the South. Yep. To learn yeah. how to set up I laws mean, that in Nazi Germany. That was something I didn't know. And then I, I thought another part that was poignant about the book was when she talks about how um, in Germany, um, you know, anything Hitler related was automatically, you know, disposed of. But whereas us in the United States, when it came to the Civil War, Robert E. Lee has been given all these statues and schools named after him. And, you know, it, 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 I just thought the parallels were just interesting and fascinating about how German... Germany was trying to stay away from all that. And the United States has always kind of embraced the Confederacy in some sort of way. But yeah. anyway, I recommend the book too. Um, thanks for recommending to all, it. Every to listeners. Yeah. Cast. Thanks, yeah. And thanks to my mother-in-law for sending it to us. Uh, shout out to uh, uh, Romana's mother-in-law. Good job on sending that book cast by Isabel Wilkerson. All right, D I've been uh, uh, gearing up for this for a while. We're going to play Gerardo Rivera at this, at uh, the onset of the show. I uh, compared him to a horse whisperer, Romana and a horse whisperer, as I said, is uh, a person, a cowboy uh, who knows how to train horses. You whisper in a horse's ear and you can get a rambunctious horse to calm down a little bit. And my sense, listening to Gerardo Rivera, is that this is a man, uh, I'm giving Gerardo the best spin possible here, Romano, when I say this. Uh, this is a man who's trying to whisper in uh, to Donald Trump's ear and try to get him to do the right thing. Let's listen to uh, Gerardo Rivera, D. Morning. I have a kind of open letter to my friend, the president of the United States, Donald Trump, whom I supported wholeheartedly and uh, suffered grave disappointment when uh, when he lost the 45th president of the United States. Dear Mr. President, my honored friend, you fought an incredible battle against all odds and the curse of insidious disease, the, uh, the plague, obviously, the coronavirus plague that has uh, affected all of us. You battled, Mr. President, the backstabbers and our enemies around the world. You remade the world in peace and prosperity. You came so close in this election, but time coming soon to say goodbye with grace and dignity. Uh, you know, I know it's hard to hear, but that's that's the way I feel about this now. He fought this amazing battle against the backstabbers. He remade the world. I mean, that's all real. Leave high with leave with your chin high in a week or so when the court fights no longer present a realistic long shot chance to overturn the election. That's very important. Fight, fight, fight like hell as long as there's a realistic chance that something uh, th something can come of it. As of right now, the president would need to win Georgia, Arizona, and Wisconsin. Uh, close, but, uh, but still long shots, razor thin margins in those handful of states, but it's a heavy lift for the president. Uh, count, let them count the votes all this week and the beginning of next week. And then at the end of the week that's coming, uh, the week, 
before Thanksgiving, you have to do the right thing, do the right thing for the nation. Uh, you know, I had some random thoughts. Uh, you know, is it my imagination or has Dr. Fauci lately became uh, become much more optimistic about vaccines. Remember, he was so skeptical about vaccines. Dr. Fauci said that our life would be all messed up through uh, 2022. Uh, now uh, the president's lost the election. Fauci is much more bullish on vaccines, much more optimistic about vaccines. You know, nobody's perfect. Thank you. Wow. Uh, Gerardo Rivera, all over the map with that thing. I could break it. I could do a whole column. Uh, just on the mixture of fantasy, lies, delusions, uh, and, well, and contradictions. Probably, you Go probably ahead. like that Geraldo Rivera as a reporter was admitting who he voted for. Yeah, well, he's hardly a reporter, but yeah, <laughs> no, I, I do believe, uh, yes, this is one of our favorite little uh, discoveries. Not just Ramana, but Maya gives me grief on this one, too. Uh, Maya, who's so left, she's like, even, Ben, I'm not going to tell you why I vote for, oh, duh, who do you think? <laughs> who are you kidding? Who are you kidding? Uh, but anyway, I, yeah, uh, no, Gerardo Rivera, I wouldn't call Gerardo Rivera a reporter, I would call him a uh uh, what would I call him? A celebrity, a TV personality, you know, like I would yeah. not definitely call him a reporter. He hasn't been a reporter since the sixties. Uh, anyway, I just thought it was, it, it, it was like, first of all, there's just like the central inconsistency there. He's saying fight. He's saying Donald lost. Uh, and then he's saying fight, fight, fight to win. Well, you can't have two ways. Exactly. Ramana. And then he recently talked, I think he recently, he, I think on Twitter a few minutes before I got on the phone with you, he said that he was on the phone with Donald Trump and Donald Trump said that he's a realist and he's, he was consoling Donald Trump on the phone. He just talked to him. So everybody was kind of going after Geraldo Rivera. They're like, well, why don't you tell your friend? Because he's talking about how he talked to his friend a few minutes ago and was t consoling him. And I don't know. It's it's yeah. He's kind of talking from both sides of his mouth. It's he's I think he's he's acting like he's going to save the day. He's telling he's telling Donald Trump to um, concede. Right. He's taking one for the team. Yeah, it's just so uh, Donald Trump was this great president who did so much for the world, but was never appreciated. I'm like, what? Did, particularly in the fight against COVID, like what has Donald Trump done? I'm, and I'm be as fair as you can, Ramona. Play the role of the objective journalist. What has Donald Trump done, objectively speaking, to lead this country in the fight against uh, coronavirus? Yeah, cut me out here. Go ahead. I don't know. I can't say anything. Um, <laughs> we know that. I mean, I know we're going to be touching upon this later, but a lot of members of his cabinet, every time you look up, somebody in his circle has gotten sick. So he definitely hasn't taken the caution within his own circles to stop it. Although I think I'm sure he was being careful when he was alone because isn't he a germaphobe? I mean, the guy got coronavirus himself. So we yes. know that, he, you know, not to say that, you know, there's a lot of people who've been very careful and still get the coronavirus because it's very easily spreadable. But we know that, you know, just looking at him and him talking about it, he really didn't take it very seriously. No, he didn't take it very serious at all. And I can't, uh, this thing about uh, making uh, world peace, <laughs> uh, 
not quite sure what he's talking about there. Yeah. But. What does what does Geraldo Rivera even do? Like, what is where is he these days? I don't. I haven't really followed him. When you sent me know. that Geraldo Rivera thing, I didn't even know they were friends. I, I don't I don't know what Geraldo Rivera is. When I opened the show, I talked about how way, way, way back in the early days, I remember he was a star on TV. You know, uh, you know, I thought he was kind of a cool guy. This is like in the 70s, so I was young. Don't blame me. Uh, you know but, how uh, I remember him? Oh. <laughs> remember when they did the Al Capone? We're going to open the Al Capone vaults? Mm, I remember and that clearly, yeah. Go this, ahead. this happened in the 80s, I think, and I was a kid, and I remember me and my older sister, we were like, we were so excited, and we sat down and we watched, and... I don't know how long the special was, but I think it was over an hour. And then they finally opened the vault and there was nothing inside. So that's, how, that's, that's my introduction to Geraldo Rivera. I can tell you that much. Yeah, no, I could I remember that. I remember also he had a show and he got hit in the head with a chair. I think it yeah, broke oh, his yeah, nose. Yeah, my nose, my nose. Anyway, Geraldo Rivera stories we talk about. But I, I just and thought I, it was. I, I bet none of your younger reporter, or your younger listeners know who he is, but. No, that's why I bent over backwards to explain it. But the, the point I, I wanted to raise about it was how he was approaching Donald Trump. And he was approaching Donald Trump as though Donald Trump was a lunatic. Uh, and had to be, uh, you know, talked off from doing something crazy and insane. I thought of all these movies I've seen where, you know, you've got the guy in a bank and he's strapped. He's got uh, dynamite strapped around himself and he's holding the button. and He's going to push it and blow it up. And the police negotiators come in and they try to talk him down, you know, calm down. And you know what I mean? Like they they entertain his paranoias and his fears and his fantasy to assuage him. Yes, I understand. You've been a victim. That's like what. What uh, Gerardo Rivera's? That's the tone he's taking. Yeah, we are. You're underappreciated. Yeah, you were a great president. Yeah, you did so much wonderful things for the world. And all they did was stab you. And then he throws Doctor Fauci on the bus. I know. That's like, that, come, that came out of nowhere. He, you know, he just wants to show him that. Yeah, don't worry. Doctor Fauci sucks. You know, that's what I, I feel like. He's just throwing that in there. It's like, meanwhile. You know, Dr. Fauci is all excited about the vaccine and he never was before. Why is he excited about it now when he wasn't ever before? It's it's just funny. Yeah. By the way, and I've as I said earlier, I listened. I uh, read Fauci's comments. He's not all excited about the same old Dr. Fauci, you know. No, most scientists and anybody that, you know, I mean, most of my friends in the medical field, you know, they're they're skeptical. They're they're cautiously optimistic, but it's not going to be something like you wake up and there's a vaccine. and We're all going to be okay in one day. Yeah, no, COVID is raging. And like you said, uh, I think it was 130 uh, Secret Service agents have now uh, uh, tested positive. Uh, several Donald Trump's aides uh, have tested positive. That's because uh, Donald Trump has made no attempt whatsoever to be cautious. I, I can't think of any, like, I don't think Governor, every now and then we get word that Governor Pritzker's quarantined, you know, because yeah. he may have been exposed to one person, but it's like, that's it. You know what I mean? One person as opposed to 130 uh, Secret Service men who may expose. All right. Uh, sore loser number two award goes to Jim Oberweiss, uh, who is running against uh, Lauren Underwood. We didn't uh, do the update uh, in the show earlier today, but um, uh, Lauren Underwood is ahead by uh, over a percentage point, I want to say. Uh, they're slowly coming. And, and, and I believe the um, Associated Press had called her the winner. Yes. And uh, uh, Ober- Jim Oberoyce has not um, conceded yet. And he wants, he said that he's going to be asking for a recount. So he's playing Donald Trump's, you know, game card or strategy right now. 
Yeah. What's your so what's your is there some kind of like common denominator between the Oberweisses and the Trumps of the world who just absolutely refuse that they lo- they lost? I think so. And I think with Jim Oberweiss is like, you know, he everybody knows he's the milk and ice cream magnet. Um his his ice cream is very, very popular. Everybody loves it. Um I'm not a huge ice cream person, so I've never really eaten Oberweiss ice cream. But, um, you know, he has the money and he's ran for so many offices like, for the longest time. And he lost all of them except for state senator in 2012, I believe. Yeah. And uh, here you have Lauren Underwood, who's a young African-American woman in this uh, 14th congressional district, um, I believe. And yeah. she's from Naperville and she was a freshman. And, you know, people thought it was actually going to be, you know, she was going to go out pretty you know, easy. But, you know, it was a pretty close call. And I think the election... Their election is similar to what we were seeing in the country. There was a lot more Oberweiss supporters than we thought there were for this race. I think a lot of people thought Lauren Underwood would, you know, have it in the bag. Maybe they didn't think it was super easy, but they didn't know it was going to be this close. That it was going to be taking several days. I mean, this took longer than the actual presidential election for them to declare a winner. So, yeah, I think there's some parallels there. You, yeah. know, have, you have someone that is completely, you know, they, they're they're diametrically opposed in terms, you know, politically. And Oberweiss is definitely, you know, the candidate that a lot of Trump supporters would be voting for, I would think. And Lauren Underwood is attracting a totally different group of people. So I think it definitely is an interesting race, at least for us here in Chicago. And yeah, Oberweiss is, I think, playing the Donald Trump card here by not, you know, conceding. He's kind of doing the same thing. He wants to be Donald Trump. Well, he, he, he got as close as he did by virtue. And this is what's the the thing that's uh, most alarming, in my humble opinion. Uh, Lauren Underwood was victorious in 2018, as you pointed out, in a district that went for Trump. Uh, so it was in 2016, Trump yeah, won the 14th yeah. congressional. So she beat the odds by winning, uh, defeating the uh, incumbent in that race, Hulkgren, in uh, 2018. Uh, this time around, uh, Oberweiss closed the gap because he tied himself to Donald Trump and Donald Trump proved how popular he was with MAGA. Uh, he increased the number of votes that the Republican opponent to Lauren Underwood got just by his presence on the ticket. And that just shows you the strength that Donald Trump has with MAGA voters, his popularity uh, with them, that they would just <clears throat> vote for Jim Oberweiss because Trump tweeted out a support for him. Uh, and uh, and then Oberweiss went to Kenosha. Good column, by the way. I want to give a shout out to Neil Steinberg. Good column in today's bright one. I know you didn't uh, edit it um, about uh, the Oberweiss uh, race. Uh, very good column by Neil. I urge everybody to read Although there was one little thing that he had in there, which I had a big laugh out of. Uh, he said Oberweiss is a downstate Republican. And Oberweiss is actually from the Aurora area. I think he's from a small town. He now lives in a small town called Sugar Grove, which I've never been to. Uh, but I, I struggle with geography uh, as well, Romana, uh, when it comes to me as somebody who went to high school in Evanston, has lived in Chicago since 1981. There, there is Chicago, Cook County, and then everything else is downstate, even if it's upstate. <laughs> he literally upstate from uh, Chicago. Do you have, do you struggle with those same yeah, uh, I mean, issues? I, I mean, I grew up in Lincolnwood. I mean, I was born in Chicago, the north side, and then I grew up in Lincolnwood, which is literally outside Chicago. It's near Evanston. You can go to Evanston within like 10, 15 minutes. So yeah, I'm we're, me and my friends, like all of, all of the people I grew up with, we kind of think like Chicago 
And then we just think Cook County and then North Shore. That's like the only places that we like know a lot about. And that's about it. And then whenever we have to go somewhere like in like a suburb like Naperville, we're like, where? You know, we all I still get confused about where that is. I'm like, isn't that like I, I think I called it something completely different once. I'm like, isn't it Southwest? Or And I know it's not Southwest. I don't know. It's like Northwest. And, you know, I don't know that much about some of these suburbs because I a lot of our family friends kind of lived in within the same area. But, um, yeah, I, I, I do that all the time. I, I mix up things and, you know, I, I just know certain suburbs. And my parents are actually even worse. Like, for my, my late father would think anything, like, outside of this, you know, like, north side of the city or, you know, in like that was a little further than Skokie he'd think it's like he'd be like oh my god I feel like I'm in the jungle or something you know if he went really far north you know it's like the far northern suburbs so yeah I think I think that's just kind of I don't know if it's a snobbery but you know I I'm always like if it's in the city or like a northern suburb then I'm like familiar with it and I'll I'll, I'll be like hesitant less hesitant to like make the trip there because I know more about those places so yeah I think a lot of us are geographically challenged and I think yeah. a lot of uh, the reason why people who live in Schaumburg and Naperville probably aren't as much is because they do come to the city, right? Sometimes. So, yeah, yeah. I don't know. There is ignorant about Chicago. Well, I don't know if there's ignorant. I, uh, I know, I hope Heidi Henry, my good friend, Heidi Henry is listening, good friend of the show. Uh, and uh, I always say, you know, what is it like out in the boonies? She gets mad at me and teases Where does she me live? about that. Uh, she's on the boonies somewhere. I've just blanked on where she lives. Oh, okay. uh, she ran uh, for Sue Re- against Sue Resin in the um, uh, state Senate race in 2018. I just okay. blanked on. Okay. Now I know. Uh, and but, I know who she is. So, yeah. So, but, uh, but Heidi's always teasing me about how ignorant we are uh, in Chicago about the rest of the state. She's absolutely correct. No, it's true. Yeah, but we want all the people downstate or upstate, whatever, to vote for our, our liberal <laughs> candidates, but we know nothing about them. Just vote for us. Shut up. You know, so yeah. I, I get it, guys. I, no, I, I get it, too. Kinda, I get it, too. I can kind of see where Mag is coming from. All right. Uh, let's move on with close with Ramana's recommendations. I got a ton of recommendations for you. Uh, but be uh, before I give my recommendations, what you got? Uh, what do you, what's on? What do you advise us to watch? Well, I'll tell you what I've been doing the last couple of days. Um, so I did start watching Queen's Gambit. I know you recommended it. And mm-hmm. uh, a friend of mine told me it was good to watch. It's only seven episodes. So. I asked my husband if he wanted to watch it, and he did, and he likes it too. I know you said you're. Yeah, I can't believe that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what? Between the two of us, he's the only one who knows. I think he said he knows how to play chess. I have, I have no idea how to play chess. I don't know how to play checkers. I made fun of a kid I knew. You know, he was a family friend, but he was on the chess team. I made fun of him in high school, so um, I didn't know anything about the world. But it's definitely not just about chess, and it's actually it's 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 a good watch. I've been watched four episodes into it, and then I also took a recommendation, and I'm watching the French uh, series uh, "Call Call My Agent" or "Call Yeah Call My Agent," and I do I like it. I know you thought I sounded skeptical when I talked to you earlier. But I do like it. I mentioned it to other friends, too. And it's like three seasons, I think, are Netflix. And I'm going to watch the, um, I guess, the fourth season whenever it comes on. But I started watching that. I'm three episodes in into the first season. And a friend of mine, um, he was talking about Queen's Gambit on, uh, on Facebook a couple of days ago. And he mentioned that he really liked Queen's Gambit. But he's like, he said it wasn't the best series you saw this year. He said the best series you saw this year was a show called Zero, Zero, Zero. Hmm. Now, since you're all into, like, foreign series these days, this is an Italian show. 
it's an Italian series and it kind of, he said it's similar to The Wire and it kind of is focused on a cocaine transaction. It's kind of about the cocaine um, drug dealing, I guess, life. And it kind of ties together different parts of the world. And I think Gabriel Byrne is in it. So there are some Americans in it, but it's an Italian based series. And I, I, it's on Amazon Prime and I Googled it and it's gotten really, really rave reviews. And so I was talking to Mick about it and he likes anything drug related. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> that's, why I was, uh, that's why I was shocked that he wanted to watch the Queen's Gambit. I always complained to him that he only watches shows like if they're involved involving a politician somebody who's a drug addict or a drug dealer yeah and that's it that's it like he's not and then you know that's and i was telling you he saw me watching um call my agent yesterday and he's like what are you watching and i'm like it's this french series about you know these these agents for these like french actors and i said you're not gonna like it although you know he and then you know he'll he'll watch something like veep which is you know about people yeah. about screwed up people in the political world. They're like not that much different, but because it's involved politics, he would never watch. I don't think he would ever watch Call My Agent. But anyway, well, I'm gonna tell you about Call, Call My Agent. It gets better with each year, and really? I, by the end of that, yeah, I was and when it was over, I really missed it. And I I know you know um, just so people know this, like in Call My Agent, it's fictitious. The agency is fictitious. Oh, of course. But yeah. they have real real actors. Uh, and French actors who are well known in France, but you know, like well, I'm typical American, I didn't know them. I had to look them up on Netflix. I don't know if you knew any of those actors. I, I don't know. I don't know some of them, the ones that I've seen so far. But I bet as the show goes on, there's might be somebody that I recognize because there's some French actors I do know. And I heard Sigourney Weaver's on it too. She'll be in on season four. I haven't seen her yet. She speaks okay. fluent French. Oh, um, yeah. And I, I can't recommend it enough to people. I, I, I know the McDumpkins of the world will not like it, uh, but I just enjoyed it so much, and I missed it when it was over. And thank goodness um, for the Queen's Gambit. I absolutely loved that freaking show. I couldn't stop watching. When it was, you know, ever ever have a show reminded when it's over, you miss it. Yeah. Have you ever yeah. had that happen? What am I going to do with my life now? But <laughs> my life is meaningless. I know. And now that we're, you know, it's suge- suggested that we try to stay at home as much as possible, uh, which I have been trying to do. It's like I've been watching. I'm, I'm I never watched this, this much TV before that this many series before. So I've, I've just been churning out, you know, when I watch something by myself. I binge it. And when I'm watching with my husband, we go a little slower. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah, like you, yeah, you, watch, cool. you watch Queen's Gambit within like two days, right? Or three days. It, it was day. about a week. My yeah, wife so and you, I fell in love you, with you, that. You, you um, and your wife probably have the same, like, you know, you guys kind of move the same way. Mick, Mick doesn't watch TV only on the weekends. So that's only when I can watch a show with him. Uh, my favorite part of the Romana uh, segment when she throws her husband Mick Dumpke <laughs> under the bus. <laughs> not throwing him under the bus. Yeah, I'm just no, saying I'm just kidding. You know, uh, he likes music stuff too, of course. So. Yes, I urge everybody to check out Mick's uh, Rhapsody. We did an interview a couple weeks ago. Uh, Mick's uh, Ode to Bruce Springsteen with Mark Bazer. Man, those two guys love Bruce Springsteen. That's all I got to say. Um, all right, now I'm going to recommend, I, I'm going to uh, watch that 000. I got it. Uh, I wrote it down, um, so I'll check that one out. Uh, Mank is the movie I'll be watching tonight. It drops on Netflix. It's a David Fincher movie. David Fincher is the director of the Social Network. I've been looking forward to this movie. It's, it's really geeky. I don't know if you... Uh, 
most of my younger listeners would like it. It has to do with Herman Mankiewicz, who was the writer of Citizen Kane and the fights he had with Orson Welles and the making of Citizen Kane. And I'm into it. It's it's got a kind of noir feel. It's, it's black and white. So I'm really looking forward to that one on many different levels. Uh, it's supposed to get into politics, uh, politics of Hollywood. So I don't know. That's what I'm looking forward to. But I'm going to urge you to watch. I, I don't know if you've heard of a, a Hannah Gatsby. She's a stand-up comedian. And her first show is very popular. It's called Nanette. Uh, her mm-hmm. second one, which came out a while ago, I finally got around to watching it this week. I've been watching a lot of stand-up comics because I've yeah. been dealing it's so difficult to deal with uh, this era of the Trump administration. So um, I'm really into Hannah Gatsby. I urge you to watch her. It's called Douglas. I'll say no more. I think you would get a kick out of her. And Bill Burr, I watched him. Now you saw, you got introduced to Bill Burr a couple of weeks ago when he was yeah. at Saturday Night Live. Yeah. You kind of liked him, didn't you? He was pretty funny. I'm sure there's some things I probably won't agree with, but no, he, I, I mean, I laughed. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, well, he's uh, he's not for everybody. I'm a big fan of Bill Burr, but it's almost kind of embarrassed to admit it in some cases. Well, but he, uh, all comedians are like, you know, you're not going to agree with them 100 percent of the time. And there's some comedians that you just just laugh at almost everything they say. Well, Hannah Gatsby, uh, part of her comedy is to make fun of comedians like Bill Burr. So she did yeah. that in the net. It's kind of uh, so she makes fun of uh, white guys who yell. And that's Bill Burr. He yells. Yeah. So he's angry and he yells and she makes fun of him. Uh, she doesn't, I don't think she's mentioned some time in name, but uh, anyway, so that's what I've been watching. And that is, that's your homework assignment to watch Hannah Gatsby and get back to me, see what you think. And she, I will she, watch. She's Australian? Is she Australian? Yes. Okay. Wow. Very good for knowing that. Um, yeah, she's Australian. I just uh, and she's, it. Oh, okay. Uh, and her, she's got this expertise in art. And so part of her comedy, she'll do a flash of famous paintings uh, on a screen and then, and analyze them in a very funny way. And I don't know, big fan of Hammy Gatsby. Uh, all right, Romana, uh, stay safe and sound, and we'll talk to you next week, all right? Okay, take care, guys. Bye. All right, that's great. Romana saying every Friday in the Ben Drops Show. D, you got any updates for us? Romana, wait. Oh, just missed her. I was going to suggest she watch Ass Whisper. <laughs> yeah, well. I'm- yeah, next week. Next week. Next week we'll do that. Uh, yeah, real quick before we ride out of here, we do have one update, and we didn't have to wait long for our next episode of A Mayor and Her Alderman. A Mayor and Her Alderman. I want an answer. It's not something you ignore. I think you're 100% full of shit. Love this show. Eat your heart out, young and the restless. All right. Uh, Real quick here. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and Fran Spielman. Alderwoman Jeanette Taylor has already gone toe-to-toe with Lori Lightfoot in the rookie alderman's quest to protect Woodlawn residents living around the Jackson Park site of the Obama Presidential Center. Uh, Taylor said Friday... Uh, today that she was incensed when Lightfoot warned Alderman that if they don't vote for her $12.8 billion budget, quote, don't ask me for shit for the next three years. Well, JT, we read some of her comments earlier. Uh, I think she said uh, that is some bullshit, I believe she said. Well, we have another quote here from Jeanette Taylor and it says here, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, according to Jeanette Taylor, Mayor Lori Lightfoot proved, and Brianna said this one earlier, proved that she is no different than Daly or Rom by threatening to cut off black aldermen who dare to oppose her budget. 
That's a direct quote uh, Jeanette Taylor gave to Fred Spearman. I haven't had a chance to talk to Jeanette uh, since the story broke. I'll probably reach out to her today or tomorrow, uh, bring her on the show. Good friend of the show, Jeanette Taylor. Uh, listen, everybody knows I'm a big fan of Jeanette Taylor. She speaks from her heart, and she tells it like it is, and she doesn't sugarcoat it. Uh, and she came on the show so many times, D. Uh, she was for Bernie, as I recall. She was a Bernie supporter, unabashed Bernie supporter. And, um, yeah, she... Look, and she also, she had to make accommodations. She talked about that on the show. Like She didn't get everything she wanted in the Obama uh, community agreement deal for the Obama Center uh, in the, uh, on the South Side. So she had to make accommodations with the University of Chicago and the Obamas and Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Um, so she just speaks from her heart. And, she, uh, you know, and she's dropped a few... Uh, I don't know if she's ever dropped the f bomb on this show, but <laughs> she's she's cussed a little bit. But you know, it, it's real with Jeanette Taylor. And uh, the twentieth ward, in my humble opinion, is uh, lucky that she is her older woman. So um, she's speaking from her heart, and she's absolutely correct. The alderman uh, crossed the line when she made a threat to the black alderman. You know, uh, if you uh, don't vote for my budget, don't come back to me uh, seeking stuff. Look, if their wards need development. If the wards need investment, you should give them the investment and development uh, regardless of how they voted. You know, it's funny, just I'm thinking about this. The biggest investment the city of Chicago has made in a single ward is the 1.4 billion, that's billion with a B, uh, handout to uh, uh, Lincoln Yards on the north side, the second ward, Brian Hopkins. I always tell us the people, the second ward didn't get that money because Brian Hopkins gets along with mayors. It just happens that Brian Hopkins is the alderman of the second ward. It's the north side. It's where developers can make money. It's where the city wants to plow its money. If Brian Hopkins was an outspoken opponent of the mayor, it still would have gotten the money. So all that money goes to the north side. And how many aldermen? Black aldermen from South Side wards and West Side wards voted for it a lot. I don't have the names in front of me, but I know it was a lot of them. They played along with this game in the city, this unfair development game in the city where we distribute money, and it's unfair. And if they now, and now you have some black aldermen who are willing to stand up to the mayor and vote no for whatever reason. Maybe they think that taxes are regressive. Maybe they don't like the distribution of money. Maybe they think it's unfair. Maybe they want to see more money for uh, mental health facilities than we're getting. Maybe they want the mental health clinics to reopen. Maybe they want less money for police and more money for, uh, for to, to treatment. Whatever the reason, if they're conscious, they can't vote for the mayor. She should not punish their wards for it. So I'm with Jeanette Taylor on that 100% D. All right. Well, maybe that was a tease for a guest on next week's program, Alderwoman Jeanette Taylor. And yeah, that was the latest episode of A Mayor and Her Alderman. A Mayor and Her Alderman. Wait a minute. Science is back, baby. Woo! All right, guys, that's the show. Uh, make sure to follow us online at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can always send us an email, BennyJShow at gmail.com. And we highly encourage you to leave us a voicemail, 
708-658-4788. That number again, 708-658-4788. Leave us a voicemail. Not going to answer. And there's a good chance if you watch your language and you're not insane, we will play your voicemail on the show. Oh, yes. Uh, if you're not insane. Eh, but if you're real insane, maybe we will play it. <laughs> yes, indeed. All right, Romano saying thank you very much. Great job as always. And of course, the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of Joy Walton Law, without whom the show would be possible. Something that Jeanette Taylor and Mayor Lori Life would agree on. Back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D. Keep yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. Have a great weekend, everybody.